0: What up, Queeros? Cami here. Guess what? If you are in Los Angeles, I'll be performing a Dynasty typewriter 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 on October 11th. Come see me. I've been doing shows there every month, once a month. It's very fun. It's usually extremely packed and queer also got a great show today with leanne pittsford from lesbians who tech i have wanted to get somebody from lesbians who tech on the show for a minute and finally our schedules lined up and so in joie i've been feeling wrong but i'm still holding on darling i know i know i know it's careless i always have folks introduce themselves will you introduce yourself
1: I'm Leanne Pittsford, the CEO and founder of Lesbians Who Tech and Allies.
0: Well, thanks for being here today and for telling us how to turn on the video camera that is associated with our studio-to-studio call right now. Um, I remember when I first heard about Lesbians Who Tech, I just have to say, as somebody, I mean, I know, I just had no idea that there were enough lesbians. Enough lesbians. For this to be be, that must be like, that must be one of the big things that you hear, right? That's like one of the big responses. There's an, there are enough lesbians to necessitate this organization. Absolutely. I mean, I didn't didn't think
1: there would be, to be honest, when I first started it, I kind of thought there wouldn't be. And then I'd be like, all right, well, you know, we tried.
0: (laughs) So you started (laughs) it not knowing the numbers?
1: No, not knowing the numbers at all. I mean, I started it really... You know, it was an experiment. I had been in the LGBTQ activist uh, gay rights space. I worked on the No on campaign. I managed all the data.
0: For Where the did you live at I the time? Did you live here in California? I,
1: it was in San Francisco. Yeah. So I moved up there for grad school to do a lovely equity and social justice program. And you know you learn about all the all the isms and uh, being that I'm white, a woman and gay, I thought it would be interesting to go into the queer space um, since a lot of gay people didn't seem to really want to do professional gay things. and that's sort of, sort of how I entered uh, into the into the queer space. Wait, I want to uh, ask
0: a couple more questions yeah. about that. So your yeah. background before going to and were you getting? This was like a master's or something? The- yeah, it was a master's. Okay, so before getting that, which was in this social justice-focused sphere, what were you doing before that career-wise or just as a human?
1: I came straight out of grad or undergrad. I had a poli-sci degree, spent a little time in France with my girlfriend at the time in between uh, undergrad and grad school. And uh, you know, kind of wanted to go into politics a little bit of like, damn the man at the time. You know, wanted to maybe become a lawyer, um, and then realized that was probably a bad idea. Um, that I'd have to sell my, you know, sold to corporate America to pay off student loans. And so I was really just trying to like learn a little bit more about the options uh, before I sort of chose a path, which the program actually was a really great uh, stepping stone for that. Because coming from a pretty conservative background, religious family, um, I definitely needed to learn about things like white privilege and, and so on and so forth.
0: I don't hear the tech part.
1: Yeah, that comes later that comes that comes a little bit later. So when I started working at Equality California, which was the main uh, organization behind known Prop Eight, Like many uh, small teams and, you know, political organizations, you have the opportunity to work on a lot of things. And I was sort of one of those, uh, you know, young women who always excelled in math and science, you know, got really bad scores on the English side. But because I could talk to people and to humans, I always got pushed into more, you know, socially minded uh, professions and really actually didn't get pushed into the kind of math area. So it was always something I loved and a passion of mine. But didn't really see the future path, um, you know, so to speak. And so when I started working there, you know, I kind of fell into uh, the data piece and just really, really loved it and then taught myself some front end and ended up building a couple of fundraising tools, that ended up raising millions of dollars for the campaign. And that's where I really fell in love with the power of technology and the impact it could have. So um, that
0: part is a little self-taught. The actual exactly. skill set is self-taught after exactly the... Um, you know, getting an education in social justice, yeah, then you're like, exactly. and I will teach myself the hard skills, like the soft exactly. skills you went to school for.
1: And um, that's the beauty of tech. It really is, you know, the, the you know, information is out there and you really can teach yourself, um, mm. you know, much, and which is,
0: I mean, the power of technology, really. So I'm realizing that <laughs> I have a young enough listenership, you know, for some folks that they might, not know what you're talking about when you say Prop 8, even though that feels yeah. like really recent history. It is,
1: it's over 10 years ago, though, now. I mean, it's been a minute.
0: Yeah, exactly. So what, I mean, I was going to say, is that 2008? What's the, 2008, yeah, yeah,
1: exactly right.
0: So um, can you talk a little bit about, just broad strokes, about what specifically you were working on like give me give me some background yeah. on what was happening yeah i st-
1: i started there around oh god probably 2006 and so we were really working on the california court strategy to win marriage in the courts and so we had just one marriage in the court, so it was, you know, legal. And even before that, in 2004, if you guys remember, like, Rosie O'Donnell, San Francisco, um, you know, the the mayor at the time, Newsom, uh, had decided who's to Who's now our just, governor. Who's now our governor, uh, had decided to just go ahead and start marrying uh, same-sex couples. And, and there and were so a few really...
0: couples that got married, like, sort of mm-hmm. on the—I mean, from my memory, it's like on the courthouse steps or whatever. Steps. exactly. And he is— Going rogue and just doing these marriages. Yep,
1: he's just he's just uh, doing the marriages in the city of San Francisco, um, and that really kind of kicked off it all, uh, which would later be the beginning of the you know the court case in California. Um, those those couples sort of fighting for uh, to keep their right uh, to marry the person they love. And then we actually won. Uh, We got all the way to the Supreme Court. We won the case. And then um, the religious right decided to fight it at the ballot box. And so all you need in California is a 51 percent majority to overturn the court case. And that uh, was the campaign that is Proposition 8 uh, back in 2008. And we uh, lost that campaign by a small margin. So um, we lost the right to marry the person we love, except for those people that got married between the time that it was legal in the courts and the time that it was overturned at the ballot box.
0: This is such a there was it was such a weird time in California. I didn't live here at the time, but I had some friends that were in a couple of those different Groups of people. I mm-hmm. I know some folks who were married in by Gavin Newsom in that little like that was like however many yeah, couples. I'm crazy. just gonna say it's a dozen or something. Like it was no, like... no was
1: thousand. I mean, I think it was twenty thousand. I think it was about twenty thousand couples. Are you serious? My the memory. Gavin yeah, married. Yeah,
0: no. Well, not not the Gavin. Oh, Mary. that's but, like, I was I got say, married that, i the gap. That, yeah. that 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 group of couples. Right. Was yeah, like that was a few. A yeah. super small group. And Definitely. then it was. This other twenty thousand, what you're saying, this other much larger group, but anyway, just just to have like multiple tiers of people mm-hmm. who are like, well, I'm married in San Francisco by the mayor. Okay, well, I'm married in our state by the you know through the power of the Supreme Court, and then just have all of that taken away at the ballot box. Like, just such a strange, like the stratification even of that in terms Absolutely. of who had what representation where. And how... Um and to have the right, like, have, have that
1: responsibility and right to to be married and then have it taken away. And it was even, you know, people were unsure even when we lost, like would, would the people that got married be able to keep those rights, right? It wasn't, right. you know, it took a minute. That to was kind not of, clear. It wasn't clear. And, and you know, and, that, and remember, that was the same time that we elected our first black president, yes. right? That's when Barack Obama won. And uh, at the same time, you know, we just lost this major, major right. And it was a huge, huge loss for our community. And so the juxtaposition yes. of that was, you know, I mean, one of the most memorable moments of of my career, um, for sure, right. In life. And
0: I, I think it's also important to point out that there was, as is sometimes the case, or maybe often, I don't know. You could, you maybe could speak to this more with the way the proposition was worded. It was confusing, confusing Absolutely. as to w- what yes and no meant. Um, Definitely, because yes meant you were against it you yes were against meant you wanted it. to take yeah
1: you that you wanted to take away marriage
0: yes right so no, and no meant that
1: you were for it
0: yes no it. meant yeah so it's, and that's often a uh, tactic it's intentional it's absolutely yeah. it's
1: absolutely intentional
0: and um so then specifically with the campaign that you were running it was it was hard you're doing the education people, against exactly. what people are literally reading and then you know whoever anybody but then this was also where the um i mean were you connected to the campaign with the tape over the mouth is that you guys was that you guys do you know what i'm talking about
1: i do the photos the like the photo no campaign. hate thing
0: that was yeah, like yeah that kind of came towards the end
1: yeah it was i think it was one person kind of doing their own creative um project you know, it was a he- project got it yeah, the Photographer, because that
0: was another thing that was happening with that specific photography project was that For me, it really felt like for the first time I was seeing like celebrities and specifically Mm -hmm. like gay celebrities sort of um, take a hard stance publicly because before that, especially folks in this like celebrity realm, it was like people kind of were setting up the families that they wanted and they had the ability to hire lawyers to like give them, you know, some level of protection. I think that we weren't, we forget that we weren't speaking on our own behalf
1: Right. Well, As, there were so many allies that you know I did all the data. So like when we get checks, I mean, Brad Pitt I think gave you know a hundred thousand right. um, dollars. And Hathaway's brother is, is gay. She she definitely contributed, and um, you know it was it was a really powerful time for our entire community. And I think I think a lot of people thought we would win. Um, and I think I mean look, it was tough being in California and the fact that Barack won, uh, you know, in a pretty big margin. So people stopped voting, um, you know, pretty early. I still wonder if it had been closer, uh, what the outcome would have would have been. but um yeah, it was a pretty it was a pretty painful uh, step back for our community as a whole.
0: What did end up happening for the so couples lost. for the couples that had for the couples been married? They got to they got to stay married.
1: I mean, obviously it was only it was only legal. This is a California initiative, right? So we still didn't have um DOMA overturned. So if you left or right. if you, you know, on the federal level, you didn't have those rights. But in California you got to keep those, um those rights. And then we ended up um, you know, going back to the ballot box and going to the the US Supreme Court. Um and that's where the, you know, Chris and Sandy, um, you know, on top of, uh, you know, E.D. Windsor and DOMA, um, things eventually happened years later. But we actually thought about going back to the ballot box in 2010. And because there had been so much movement on the court case side and, you know, I mean, that campaign was very, very expensive. And pulling together those funds, uh, you know, especially a ballot in California was no small task. And so... Um, you know, the the movement as a whole decided to kind of continue on with uh, the court case strategy versus going back to the ballot. I would have loved to see us overturn that in the ballot box. I mean, just you know, from a uh, per- on a personal level, I think it's it would have been so uh, powerful to have you know the education and uh, the movement and the continued growth of individuals you know kind of realize that um, all Californians and all Americans uh, deserve the right and freedom and responsibility to marry the person they love.
0: Yeah, man, I, this is <laughs>
1: memories. I feel
0: <laughs> I feel like back. almost breathless thinking about this time and yeah. everything that it ended up meaning in my life and you know all all of our lives. I think it's one of those things. I was living in Chicago at the time, and so Chicago for yeah on the Obama side of things was. An, How it was did an, you feel when that happened? I mean, we oh, just it was you know an unbelievably exciting time to live in Chicago and have and have Barack Obama become our president and also in Illinois at the time it like wasn't even marriage equality wasn't even like
1: it wasn't a thing on the horizon uh, yeah
0: Iowa had it which was right next door so friends that I knew who were trying to to protect themselves and their family um were going to Iowa. That's what was happening for some right. people that I knew. I was also like a little bit, you know, I was in like my late twenties, so not everybody I knew was getting married. Trying to get yeah. married or whatever. Yeah. But um <laughs> the people I knew who were, that was what they were doing. Um or they were having, you know, weddings with no legal ramifications, right. which is also, you know, part of our Cultural history. history. Yeah. Um, so many people, have, they're like, I'm, we're on our fourth yeah. marriage,
1: you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. in terms of ceremonies.
0: And then, I mean, I, I was also watching what was happening in California and I think pretty stunned. But then I also moved out here into that climate. You know, when I moved here, I, I was touring around and there was that summer – it must have been, like, 2013 when, you know that summer when just, like, different states, it was like a different state was having something happen.
1: Yeah, all the like time. Like, every was, month. Yeah.
0: Like, literally, there were just, it was like, it's totally illegal here. It's fully <laughs> legal here. It was just like, it's like, what's happening with weed now? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And um, I was trying to plan a stand-up tour where I would go to all the places where it was illegal. And... It kept changing so much I couldn't, like, get the dates <laughs> planned. So like, now we're going to switch. I'm like, fuck, Kentucky or whatever the hell I was, you know, whatever <laughs> was happening. Um, you know, but I was partnered at the time and thinking about my own life. And weirdly, Gavin Newsom's office reached out to me during that time. I had, like, breakfast with him. I don't know. There was, like, a lot that. of, like, just to, the, the two best. of us. I yeah. don't know. It was just, like, everything felt very— Surreal. Surreal. So up in the air on a daily basis. And I know that that's still true for our community, but it was front page news that it was up in the air, which which now it feels like um, we have a president who's sort of pretending that, or at least paying lip service. I don't even know if he's actually pretending, paying lip service to the fact that He's not coming after our community. Like there's like this weird thing of somebody looking directly into our faces and being like, "That's not even what's happening." I'm not coming but it's after. Totally, your, yeah, but it's totally even though what's that's happening. absolutely it's what's happening. Ab- but it's like there's this weird. um but Yeah, at I mean, this time yeah, it was people from the
1: elite. You know, he comes from the New York elite, where right. the you know. Gays are definitely, um, you know, many among that group. And so it's an interesting dance, I mean, in many issues that he's playing. On this.
0: Yeah, that dance is exactly what I'm talking about. He's like doing this, you know, and it's so obvious. I'm not saying it's at all opaque. I'm saying it's a transparent dance. But but at this time, it wasn't even really a dance. It was like people being like, I hate gay people. Like, it was like right. so obvious. It was like so overt. People were just saying how they felt. It was very strange. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I'm just remembering it's interesting all the that. steps
1: forwards and the steps back, right? I mean, how um we are with uh, racism and, you know, what's happening with white nationalism in this country, you know, it's sort of the the time periods that it's okay for people to be uh, bigots and racist yes. and that validation um you know even if it feels like there are moments where it's culturally not acceptable and then something changes like we have a president like Trump in the white house and all of a sudden people um you know feel more comfortable again to um say certain things and vote certain ways and i think that's the you know dilemma and uh moment of uh you know critical choice here we have on who we want to be as a country today.
0: That's so smart. I think that's exactly, that's a really good summary of sort of what I was trying to get at. (laughs) I got you. Yeah, is that like, yeah, of course, having a black president didn't eliminate racism in this country, but for a minute it was like people had to be a little bit more (sighs) white people had to pretend a little harder Mm -hmm. or use coded language. And then now Whoop! Just straight up saying what I think, you know, and straight up marching uh, with swastikas and you know hoods and everything. And it's not that things go away; it's that the it's strange to see the shift. Yeah, one of my
1: good friends, um, Danielle Moody Mill, she's like, "This is America's, you know, last last stand. um, You know, white nationalists and and racism, sort of um, the backlash, essentially from." President Barack Obama. Um, and so they've been, you know, holding it back, but it's it's been there mm-hmm. underneath the surface. And so we're dealing with, you know, a president that's given it legitimacy yeah. and power and validated um those those feelings and that hate really. And that's what's so upsetting about where we are today. And yeah. we all know that hate uh, just continues to spread all types of hate and there's no limit to right. it. And I think that's the place we are all Kind of thinking about in the movement, I know we're all focused on electing a new president, and obviously that's so important for the short term. But I think we have a lot of work to undo um, and fight against what's happened in the last couple years with this president.
0: Well, when you're saying things like this, and, you know, you and I are in agreement on these things, and we get to talk, and this has – not that it has no bearing on my job, um, (laughs) certainly I – don't get opportunities because of my outspoken. How I'm outspoken about the things that, first of all, are just true, but also the things that I believe. Uh, I believe true things. I'm one of those people. But um, you know, for you, what I'm thinking specifically about? about lesbians who tech and yeah. and I don't know the folks that are sort of coming to your conference. I know you just had a big conference in New York yeah. last week. Um, how many attendees? Uh, between
1: like all three days, we had about three thousand, and then in San Francisco, we have about six thousand between all three days.
0: And where, where, what kind of events do you do?
1: So we're, you know, we're, you know, if you've been to a conference or a summit, or if you've been to South by Southwest, I mean, we're very non-traditional in the fact that we don't love like typical conference spaces, but um, you know, we consider ourselves a tech conference where the people just happen to be representative of the people who actually live in this country, right? 80% of our speakers are queer women, uh, 50% are women of color, um, 35% are black or Latinx, and about 10% are, are trans or non-binary identified. Um, but there, it's a lot of tech content, and we obviously tech, touches, you know, so much of our life today. So there's obviously a social justice lens in a lot of what we talk about and a lot of what we do, which is, you know, pretty different than most of the tech spaces, but mostly it's the people, you know, it's, it's what we have in common. Um, There's a lot of TED style talks. There's a lot of conversations. There's a lot of, um, you know, fireside chats and things like that. A lot of space to, you know, meet one another. We do a lot of speed networking, speed mentoring, um, you know, really connecting one, one another. Obviously, you know, on the social justice side, a lot of what's happening in tech. There's there's so many topics there, but, um, you know, tech salaries pay almost three times the average American salary, right? So what we're talking about is economic opportunity for people, and so we're really focused on access and making sure that you know, just like how I taught myself, that people can, uh, you know, teach themselves and be a part of that of that conversation and have the chance to have more economic power in this country.
0: I want to back up for a tiny second, so. Yeah. When you say TED style talks, Mm -hmm. can you give me an example of a topic that one of these talks might be about?
1: Yeah, I mean, we cover everything from AI to machine learning to how, you know, there's there's bias in, in technology, um, you know, to kind of broader conversations. You know, we actually had uh, Roxanne Gay there and um, Debbie Millman, who's uh, uh, a great uh, podcaster herself and um, designer by training and, you know, talking about, you know, everything from leadership to how, you know, technology affects media and the conversations, you know, that are spreading, <laughs> spreading around today in our politics, um, you know, in our culture. So it's 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 pretty broad in that in that sense. But we also, you know, there's also, you know, everything from software engineering, right. uh, you know, growth in the cloud, um, you know, super super techy to kind of more high level how tech is impacting society.
0: That's actually that's thank you because that's exactly kind of what I was trying to get at was how sort of broad and because I I haven't been to yeah what's
1: up I with mean, that I... we got to get you we got to get you to the summit.
0: Oh, I would love to come. I really would. I'd love to come. Let's do Um, it. I I haven't been to um, any sort of a conference that's like maybe as focused as – like I've been to Mm -hmm. South by Southwest a bunch of times. But that's kind of like – this is everything. You know what I mean? That's like the point of it or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, And I have presented at like ideas festivals Mm -hmm. where there's like a lot of people from a specific industry or something like that. Yeah. M- multiple times, um but I think for me, you know as somebody who like I guess I wondered how technical yeah. your tech and is. I think that's
1: a lot of people ask that and you know we're I'm like <laughs> one of the jokes I have is like as long as you don't have a you know an AOL address if you're like under fifty <laughs> um if you're over fifty, I'll give you a little bit or you work at AOL, I'll give you a pass but um you know some of my friends say we're les- we're we're tech adjacent. Or uh, lesbians who text um, is a pretty big uh, side group. Um, <laughs> bisexuals who text, um, yeah. you know. There's been a lot of a lot of uh, side groups, and you know, it's a range. I mean, obviously, a lot of tech companies are are you know behind the conference and how and how we make it happen on the financial side, and they support support their employees to go. But you know, digital social media, I mean, technology is really in, in everything we do, and there's a lot of leadership focused content. Um, you know, so if you want to take more of that track, you can. But it's pretty broad, and we love you know we love all types of people to come and participate.
0: The stuff that you were, you were just saying that a lot of uh, companies support their employees going. Um, I think that's also kind of you know how I transitioned us here is was thinking about that you and I can have this conversation. This is literally my job right now. Like I'm at work, you know, um, and I can have and I can be very honest about my personal life you know I can as honest as I want to be um and I don't have to worry about repercussions is there what part of that do you see at among attendees like how how many folks um would you say are coming to sort of like get community and they feel safe where they work or versus they're coming to be around community and they like don't feel safe do you hear that from it's folks a that it's there? a mix
1: still and I mean I had someone who's you know was And we try to, work. you know, one of our things is, you know, I mean, look, and I'm really honest about this, you know, if if lesbians and queer women had to self-fund this, we'd be a happy hour twice a year in San Francisco, you know? (laughs) Like, you know, there's, I mean, we're really the only organization that's 100% focused on providing value to queer women, right? There's a lot of stuff in the LGBTQ space. There's a lot of stuff in the women's space. It's, you know, the same reason that we don't, we have, you know, it's hard for us to have our own dating app. It's hard for us to have our own bar. Um, You know, there's a reason why, uh, you know, spaces specifically for women have been a challenge for our community, right? Um, Women still make less than men. You put two women together and we're actually at the opposite ends of the economic spectrum when you think about gay men, right? And then there's all these cultural differences about how we show up in the space, So it it is interesting in terms of, I think, community is a huge focus because there's just nothing out there, whether you're in tech or not, right? That urgency for community is something that, you know, people feel at different parts of their life, whether they're transitioning to a new city, a new girlfriend, a new job, whatever it is, you know, there's just a lack of it. Um, And so that urgency is just a little bit higher for people. Obviously, it depends where you live. I mean, we definitely get stories, I mean, from major companies where they don't feel supported. And even though they're, you know, like a, they donate to a lot of the gay groups and all these things, they still don't feel like they're comfortable. And it's, you know, it's everything from who your boss is to who's on your team. You know, are you on a team that's representative, where you feel like your identity is there? I mean, you know, and I think the The word lesbian, I mean, part of why I chose that name, you know, which is a whole conversation, um, is because, you know, to reclaim it in a certain way, I mean, even for myself, and I know for a lot of queer women and lesbians, it's just, it's a weird word. It's very sexualized. Um, You know, Google just recently changed their algorithm so that, you know, porn uh, didn't show up as high on the rankings. But most of that word is identified with with porn on the internet. We actually face so many spam issues with our organization because of our name. So much gets blocked. Locked with, with, uh, with email and with different companies where LGBTQ or gay gets through, but lesbian doesn't um, in terms of just like the the way that it's represented on the internet. Um, but it's absolutely still an issue. And, you know, honestly, obviously more in smaller cities and, and not the New Yorks and San Francisco's, but I still hear stories where people aren't comfortable with that part of their identity and they're definitely not comfortable bringing their whole self to work. And so I think that's a huge part of what we doing. And even in
0: the New Yorks and San Franciscos, there's a difference between comfort and... Outsider identity. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. We just said the same thing from opposite sides. (laughs) You know, just... I certainly feel, um, in my job, safe... Often, not all the time, often. Um, and that does not mean that I feel integrated right. often. You know, I think there's a, a real big difference there. And I, I I I also think that I'm sure you hear, you know, like kind of what's the point of um yeah. celebrating or or noticing our identities. Like why even why would we even need this? Right. You know, and I'm sure, I'm sure that's something you hear. And, and it's, it's so strange because now for the first time, you know, when a company does like a really racist, makes like, a, launches a really racist ad campaign or like a really homophobic ad, maybe we're catching it, you know, but, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're thinking to provide Support for the folks who might be working at that company, because I feel like it's like if there's a really racist ad, the thing that we say is like, you don't you you must not have any employees of color. Right. right? And probably that's true, like probably hiring needs to well, change. Well, they definitely weren't at the
1: they weren't at the table where that decision got made probably. Or they right? were at the
0: table or where the decision got made and they were you know? silenced, you know? Yeah, and I think exactly. that that I think that there's I think we often forget about that silenced thing. And mm-hmm. and that that doesn't have to look like be quiet. Right. That can look like not being asked to speak, that can look like being the only person in the room. Right. You and there's
1: privilege is? in like, you know, ha- having that freedom to speak up where you feel like you know, you could lose your job tomorrow or there's opportunity in another job. I mean, we, um, you know, we decided to to refund um, Palantir sponsorship this year because of, uh, you know, their involvement in immigration. And it was a really hard decision for us. And, and part of, you know, I mean, part of it's not a hard decision, but the part that was hard is, you know, there are LGBTQ women that work there. And, you know, we wanted to figure out if there was a way to support them um, because our partnerships with most companies are about supporting the women who work at that company, right? Right. Um, And there's many, obviously, uh, very few companies, probably zero or perfect on any of these issues. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, how do we make sure we give an opportunity to people that work there uh, knowing that, you know, we don't know all the context to why they continue to work there? Um, Right. You know, those are huge questions.
0: Yeah, they really are. They really are. And when we talk about, you know, there must not be somebody there to speak up, um, you know, and then bringing that into what you're talking about, about folks who might end up working at that company. You know, there's also, like, the burden of being the the watchdog. Like, I get paid the same amount as you, and your job is just right. to code. But my job is to code and make sure that our— And call, call your ass —that are fucking— yeah. Uh, pamphlets aren't bullshit, you know, and I just it's that emotional labor slash absolutely doing the like gay pass on things, you know, doing the female pass on things, doing the trans pass on things that we end up doing so much more fucking work and being more vulnerable in our in the positions that we're in. And, like, I, and I think that's I
1: one of the things people come to us for is because they can come kind of get that support and be fulfilled or, you know, share the stories um, and not be the only person in the room. I think, you know, people are still constantly surprised when they walk in. They're like, oh, my God, there's not all white people or it's not all, you know, there's a lot of non-binary people or, you know, and they're actually engineers or they are different leaders in their fields. And they can share some of those stories where, you know, they have to go back to their day job and they they are the only person. Or and what's, ha- what's the beauty of what's happening now? now is that there are companies that are starting to get beyond what we call that 30%, right? If you're the 30%, if you're under 30% women or people of color LGBTQ, you're you're still going to feel othered. Right. But once you kind of hit that 30 percent over, that's when the real shift changes. But wow. until that moment, you know, you really don't have the chance to kind of be on a, a team where, where you're talking about that burden, you know, is still present. Right. Where you're yes. where you're where you're othered or you're siloed um, or you're tokenized. And so what's happening now is that that some companies are starting to get there on teams and that word is spreading. And now people have the choice to maybe switch jobs to a team that is 30 percent. um. You know, when there are people of colour LGBTQ. And that's that's it's amazing to see. And that's where we have to keep going.
0: That's really cool. I don't think I actually knew the percentage. So thank you for giving it to me so that I have (laughs) it in my brain. (laughs) You know, I bring all this stuff up because I can I can really relate to it. And something that I find very I get uh Whenever there's like a, a, some straight dude comic that has said something terrible, I get a lot of requests for comment and interviews. And um, I don't do them anymore because I actually think it is beneath me to patrol my peers. I would love for a man to have to do mm-hmm. those interviews. Like for a dude comic to have to answer for why another dude comic has said a shitty thing. I mean, that's your next podcast. Is, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Answer for that. your peers with a man. <laughs> you know, like I just, I just, I feel. Um, and then at the same time, it's like a, an equation I have to do with myself where I'm like, well, then my voice isn't heard on this issue. But. People know where I stand, you know, and yeah. I, I believe my work stands for itself also. Like I would rather do an interview about my own work, but it is. Right. These are the questions that we have to ask ourselves, you know, is like ourselves is is do I want to be the like what is my job you know yeah. is my job to do my job or is my ju-
1: the flexibility of like today I feel like it and tomorrow I don't and that's right. you know that's okay and I think that's the part that's hard I think oftentimes I see women you know underrepresented groups of all of all types kind of putting up these boundaries to protect themselves which you know I totally support but we also need to give our, ourselves the freedom to change and the flexibility to shift right that um you know we might be tired or need something else in life or, you know, we've just done that work for a long time. I mean, I really <laughs> didn't want to be a professional gay again. I mean, this is also funny to me as I rehash the Prop 8 stories of, I left that work because I had was just so sick of the, I mean, for lack of a better word, the drama and, and you know, honestly, a lot of the sexism that was in the LGBTQ space. And I told myself I just, you know, I, I went into tech to get a break from it all and, um, and you know, uh, realize that the power of you know economics and how you know your money is more scalable than your time and. I think we all have a responsibility and a civic duty to make more money um, because we can do more good in the world, um, you know, financially. I mean, that's just true. There's. I, hours I also the love the
0: idea that it's my civic duty to make yeah, more it's your, money. It's Fuck your yeah. civic duty to make more money. It's not just a selfishness thing. Exactly. I'm doing the right thing by <laughs> yeah. trying to make more it's money. It's both ends you know? I am on the right. <laughs> well, can I ask you a question about, you said, you know, sexism. Um, tell me about that. Tell me about what, what you're And you can use broad strokes, but
1: yeah, I mean, this is something we don't talk a lot about in the, in our own community. Um, you know, but it's real, and I think it's one of the things that, you know, we do have to be careful about messaging, right, the religious right, and, and different groups have taken our words and use them to, you know, not do great things for our community. And so I think it's tricky, um, but, you know, I mean, there's, you know, anytime you go to an LGBTQ event, it's going to be 80 to 90 percent male. Um, you know, there's a reason why Pete Buttigieg has been able to raise so much money, right, Um And, uh, you know, there are truths about just two men together and men making more uh, about how much economic power, you know, gay men have in this country and the seat that they have at the table within our own community. Um, And obviously, a lot of that is, uh, you know, connected to racial. I mean, it's it's white gay men generally that have been the leaders of our movement and they've financially paid for a lot of our movement and therefore they've got to make, make a lot of the decisions And I saw a lot of that happen. Um, And, you know, there's even women who, queer women who have been, uh, you know, have different privilege and, and 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 have a lot of money and still feel uncomfortable around using that money for power, right? Mm-hmm. And that's just about the way women are cultured in this country, the way that we feel about using money for power, and a lot of that feels weird. And we, you know, judge ourselves and we judge other people and, you know, how much of that of that dollar is going to the work? And it's like, it's all the mm-hmm. work, even if you're doing a Facebook ad, right? That helps, uh, you know, every, everything is the work. And I think there's a lot of... Just, you know, internalized judgment uh, and cultural pressure that we that, that we have and that has impacted the way that the queer space has, you know, turned out. And, I mean, it's the reason that you walk in the Castro and it's mostly gay men. And that's why we chose to have our conference in the Castro. But, you know, I'll be straight up and we face, it's one of the hardest things that we do having that event there. Like the gay men do not, generally, there are a few good, uh, I call them lesbros. Um friends of friends of lesbians. Um, but, you know, generally we face a lot of sexism. I mean, even at the city level, you know, a lot of gay men make the decisions about permits and budget. And, you know, even if they don't uh, fight us actively, they still don't maybe help. Right. Um, and so, you know, it's, if if we were a conference focused on gay men in the Castro, our experience would be completely different. That um, is very
0: interesting. I mean, if, if, you know, of course, well, I don't even think we talk about this as it would have affected marriage equality being a place that we started. I mean, I it really isn't – to me, marriage equality is really personally important to me. Um, and I also think when you're talking about – sometimes I hear straight folks – this used to be a thing all the time, but I still sometimes hear straight folks or even queer folks – be Like, well, why do you even want the right to get married? It's a stupid organi- right. you know, institution created by the government. Fair enough, but I will say um, financially, we can be wiped out very easily. Our partnerships can be wiped out very easily if we don't have the benefits that come from marriage.
1: We should at least have a choice. You know, we
0: should have the choice to make the bad decision or good decision. Yeah, or, exactly. You know, well, and, should be and, our- and also, to we should have the choice to protect our money. You know, there there there's a huge part of marriage in yeah. this country that has a financial reward, and when we think about like, well, why was that the first? You know, why weren't we um, focused on the lifespan of Black trans women versus over the right to be married? It's, I mean, who was making the decision and what were they trying yeah, to protect? Absolutely. Who are the they were trying to right? protect their money? And you know what? Absolutely. That's also okay. Like, it's okay to try to protect our money because. That's what the fucking president is doing. That's what we're you know that's that's right. a lot of how this country is built. But yeah, there's a reason why a and money. HIV and
1: yeah. marriage are were the kind of two you know when you think of gay issues in this country, those are the top those are the top two right. And just now, um, you know, trans issues and youth issues are um, coming to light, which is so important and is a long time coming. But you know. 50% of, uh, you know, queer people are women and, uh, you know, women's rights really isn't ever been a part of that dialogue or conversation. I mean, yeah. it's just not. And so I, that is my my question to our community is how to integrate, um, you know, we're still not where we need to be uh, for women. And, um, you know, I think that's an important question for our community as a whole to, to ask that question as to why.
0: Specifically on tech Is this something that you just see as not just, but I'm like putting together the stuff that you've said, and it's like here's a sort of surefire way to bust ourselves through this bubble. We're going to get that money. We're going. These are secure, Mm -hmm. lucrative jobs that we can sort of self prepare for, or at least more than other fields. Um, yeah I mean I think it it's a it's for sure a part of it I mean I think when I first started this
1: it was you know I was starting my own business kind of back to that civic duty I'd left quality California I'd had some personal stuff happen at the time and just you know really uh, fell in love with technology when I was working there and um, entered into the tech space and you um, you know, join an organization focused on LGBTQ entrepreneurship. And I think that's where I realized I was like, oh, there's so much sexism in this space. Um, You know, like I felt it in the advocacy space, but I really felt it when I entered into tech. And I really felt it even when I went to, um, you know, women's spaces where I felt like the lesbian and queer woman voice was missing, right? They'd be like, well, what's it like for our husband at home? And, you know, I'd be like, well, what, it's, what's, what is what's it like when you have two women and you don't have a husband at home? And so I think it's, you know, one of the things that I personally needed, like I was entering into tech, I was starting a tech company, um, I needed support and community. And so it was, you know, for me, a great way to merge my past and my my present and hopefully my future in terms of, you know, I needed the community, I needed the support, and I felt like it was really missing in the larger tech space. And then as I kind of, you know, went on, I realized how much uh, economic power was possible through technology um, for all types of underrepresented people. And then, you know, the further I went on, I realized how many barriers and biases uh, there exists in tech and how it was kind of this idea that anyone can have access in a certain way that's true in terms of the tools and education that's out there. But by no means does that mean that the power structure is accessible and the people who are building tools and, and technology have to look a certain way and go to a certain school and have a certain network. And, um, you know, that's when I really kind of realized the power of what we could be a part of, you know, the larger conversation around, um, obviously, les- lesbians are, are women. Um, uh, some some actually are identify as non-binary, but generally, um, lesbians are women, which I think for a lot of companies and people I talked to in the beginning, they're like, you know, really focused on women's issues. And I'm like, this is going to be awkward for a second, but... Um, you know, lesbians are are also women. Um, we're women of color, and we're and we're trans, and we're so you're veterans, saying and you're like mothers. pitching,
0: you're pitching to like, hey, be involved in this conference, and they're like, we're yeah. really focused on women's issues. Yeah, no, literally, I, like eighty <laughs>
1: percent of all conversations I had, people would be like, yeah, we're just not like there on the LGBT side. We're like really focused on women. And I was like. <sighs> man, how do I, like, what is my next step here? You know, I try to, like, try to do most things with humor. I was like, I'm sure someday we'll hug it out, I will give a high five, but, um, you know, I have to say, like, you know, you, re- you do realize that uh, lesbians are are women, and they'd be like, oh, my God, I can't, like, oh, you know, right, of course, and it is crazy how much, we put we put people in boxes all the time, I and mean, even lesbians are like, let me introduce you to LGBTQ person. I'm like, well, how about the women's person? Um, There are more, you know, like, most of those, you know, budgets are controlled by gay men, and I'd, you know, a lot of lesbians identify with being a woman first. And so, you know, it's both, you know, we need to be part of both communities,
0: obviously. Oh my God. That is <laughs> amazing. Yeah.
1: And I said the box word.
0: No, I just, that, f- that it feels, um, that is like, that's, I am feel a little speechless thinking about <laughs> folks saying that they're focused on women first. I mean, it's, When, for me, I think about, and maybe in a second we can also get to, because you've been, you've been very, you've been hinting sort of around the edges. So I just want to say, it sounds to me like um, non-binary folks, bi folks, pan folks It sounds to me like those folks are all welcome and included. You chose this word because you feel that this word has the specific meaning and specific attachment for you and that it's not meant to be a limiting word, but a word as a baseline. So I'm just saying that because that felt so clear to me, but I just want to say that. No, it's important to
1: say, and I think it's, I mean, it's the, it's I still struggle with the name I I don't think it's perfect I will say and I think it's you know one of the things I you know kind of I'm in that like borderline age where I you know was a part of the movement with women who are older where where queer felt really you know was a derogatory word Mm -hmm. Um, and um, I'm a bridge to the younger generation where you know lesbian is a White woman wearing Birkenstocks. Um, And so I think it's, you know, we're in a really interesting place. And, you know, I think there have been some really powerful leaders like Lena Waithe and so forth that have been using the word um, in in a way that's really powerful. But, you know, part of it was reclaiming the word because I felt like, you know, lesbian spaces were dying and that um, we, you know, it was a a word that many women who were both... uh, you know female and gay fought really hard for and that we needed to honor that history but also leave room to be more inclusive and we sort of we talk a lot about being specific mm-hmm. without being exclusive and so our tagline is Queer Inclusive Badass, and we, you know, our speakers represent all of those types of diversity. Um, many people on, on my staff also do, but it is by no means perfect. And so we try to say as many of the words as possible because well, you know, we, don't we know have, where words matter.
0: We don't have perfect language on this. Yeah. That's the thing. Words matter, and we don't have the perfect—we don't have perfect language to indicate both specific specificity and— Openness. We just don't have it, yeah. you know, and I think that's something that, that the lesbian, queer, non-binary, trans side of our community bear an extra burden on trying to figure out. Because I Absolutely. hear gay used as an umbrella term in a way that people are fucking fine with. <laughs> totally.
1: And then the yes. rest
0: of us <laughs> have to figure out how to all... Manage this, and again, because a lot of that is falling sort of on folks who are cultured female, it's just like extra emotional labor that we're doing, Absolutely. and it's it's important to do. It's not it's, totally it's not to do. worthless work, but it's also work. And um, yeah, and it's and you're right. I mean, there is not a there's
1: not a perfect language, and I mean, the emails that still break my heart are the ones that for, are from bisexual women in particular. That don't feel like the space is for them. you know, Typically, not always, but when they come and they experience it, they definitely um, do feel included. But um, you know, it's it's that's the part that I feel the most most struggle with.
0: That's really interesting. It is because if you know, even if it was to change and be queer women, then who's that? And even if so, then you you lose women, and it's queer. Who's that? Like, I just mean, it's, there's, there's. Yeah, there's there, no, I mean, you really do lose the
1: power of kind of, and that, that word is dying for a reason, and where it's like literally been, you know, mostly used as porn on the internet, and it's very yeah. sexualized, and there is a long history for that word in particular. And, I mean, that's the, the you know, the power in so many, you know, women underrepresented groups is that we always opt to be inclusive, and mm-hmm. I think that's so powerful, but we do lose the specific focus and intentionality mm-hmm. of who we need in different identities. And I think it's it's just okay to do both. You know, it's okay to have moments of inclusivity and it's okay to be specific with needs because if you're not specific with needs, then you lose the opportunity to connect in that real way. And I think it's part of why, you know, we're underrepresented both in the women's space and the LGBTQ space because those spaces aren't specific enough to us in general. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons we've grown so fast is because there is a real need there to be more specific um but you know we we try we try to do it with as much intention as we can
0: yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense to me um that makes a lot of sense to me the you know just thinking about how we are supposed to operate as women moving forward in our jobs, I, what I also like about what you're saying is that it fights the, when we are the only people in the room with our identity, there's also a bit of a self-protection thing that happens. You know, it's the, it's like the bass player effect is one mm-hmm. <laughs> I've long referred to this as myself. It's like one woman gets in the band She's the bass player. She's the bass player. Yeah. So she's worried about being replaced totally. over, worried about um, being supported. And I think that's also something that a lot of us deal with. It kind of relates to this word that you're talking about, this this conversation we're having about words, but also really relates to when we're in a workplace where we're underrepresented. You know, then yeah. the second woman that's hired is inherently our competition, Yeah, and and power is—it's just how it's fucking set up, you know, and it's how we. But it's like it's
1: usually human psychology. I mean, we are like psychologically predisposition to, you know, fight within uh, groups that feel more accessible to us, right? So we're literally—it's like it's human nature to feel more competitive with people that are closer to where we are in life, right? So while the white cis men have all the power, that feels really far away. And attacking them or competing with them feels really far away. But what feels close is that person next to me that has all these similar things. And what's hard is that most of this fucking shit is a subconscious. Yeah, And of so course. people think they're super supportive, um, you know, and depending how, you know, emotionally intelligent they are, it can be even more detrimental because you don't realize you're doing it. And, you know, we talk a lot about You know, there's no way to remove the bias that you have, right? You've lived on this planet for decades, and you are biased. Like, we live in a biased world, a sexist, racist, anti-LGBTQ world. Like, that's the reality. We're swimming in it. And so even if you are a part of those groups, you have to, like, fight it every single day. And I think you have to be really aware of those moments. You're like, am I feeling competitive with this person? Do I feel like this person's going to take this away from me? Like, I've had moments of, like you know, oh, if, you know, I were this or they were that, like, I would have gotten this thing. You know, it's just like, those are normal experiences and you should let yourself feel all the feelings because I think that's important, but you should also... Ask a lot of questions about why that is and like process that and process that with people you feel safe with. Because I think unless we start untangling that, you know, the real systems of power and privilege and oppression are just are never gonna be fully dismantled.
0: Yeah. I think I think that's such a that's such a good point. And there's also the, I mean, when we talk specifically about lesbians, like or folks that would also be in the same Fucking dating pool, you know. There's there's a bi- there's a biology to that yep. too. Yep. That we don't talk about so much. It's literally like, you know, we're all tackling each other to like make babies or something. Even if our body, even if we're not yeah. even trying to make babies, you know, like it's like we're totally. we're all like unicelled organisms trying to crawl out of the ooze, you know. And so there's a lot of reasons to feel competitive. And to be competitive. And then you enter into an age of social media and an age of like quasi awareness about these issues. And I think we're going to feel more competitive with folks who are from the same demographic because it's like, wait, but I'm the one from this thing. I don't want to be alone, but also I don't want there to be anyone else, you know, and and then, you know. (laughs) Well, and then, then there's so a picture of like, me being the one, yeah, you know?
1: Right. Yeah, and there's only posted. so many spots. And that's what we have to fight for is more spots and more that doesn't have to be one or two people. Because, I mean, the truth is, like, if you do, if you do a favor for me, like, I'm going to make you look good, right? And now you're going to look good. And that's, like, scalable and, like— You know, I think we get nervous about losing the spot or how maybe someone else is going to make us look or if we refer someone and then they don't work out. But that's like, that's the kind of fear and the 10%. I mean, there's always 10% of people that are going to break the rules and that are going to fail, right? But like, we're white cis men, like straight white cis men have an advantage on us is that they're just thinking about how to gain more power for their friends, for the people who are like them, and that ends up helping them in return. And I think that's the part, like if we focused on that more, even if one or two people mess up, which they always will, that will always happen um, if we kind of have that abundance mentality and focus on how, I mean, I see it all the time in our organization, you know, people are helping one another get jobs or they're connecting and these things where it's just, it just all it does is make them have more power and respect and, you know, um, notice that their company, like most of those things end up being such a positive Thing and you know not to say there's not um, you know concerns in any of those choices, but most often than not there's um, you know more more positive things that come from those choices.
0: That's a really that's right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We don't we we are not a risk when we when we view ourselves as not a risk. We do ourselves a favor, and I mean folks within our demographic too. You know, like, absolutely. Uh, I, I feel like I've heard that a million times that my demographic makes me a riskier bet. And so, of course, I have that within myself, too. Totally. You know, that, that thought flies around in my own head. You um, want to learn a trick that I do? What I've been I'm, told. It's probably not politically correct. But um, generally, women and people of
1: color start at 100, and they have to work their way down. And generally, kind of white cis men start zero, and they can work their way up. And it's like just a little trick that I do in my head because I think the reality is when we think about like fairness and all these things, it's really, it's really hard to play out. Um, but everyone has a chance to get to zero and everyone has a chance to get to a hundred. And it just kind of helps me like equalize when I start thinking about my time and, you know, how I, you know, critique or judge or, you know, look at the world in different ways. It just kinda helps balance it, balance it all out a little bit better.
0: Am I still at 100 after this conversation? <laughs> Absolutely. Have I earned, have not, am I in the bonus points <laughs> yeah, 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 area? Yeah, yeah. Am I in the bonus Moving points? Moving towards 200. <laughs> yeah. Am I at 105 Absolutely. and a half? Absolutely. You have all the chance uh, to get to the bonus points. Great. Well, before I send you back into your day, I just want to, first of all, thank you for your time. And um, I also want to ask you to shout out a Queero. just a person, place, or thing. Made you feel like you can be who you are today.
1: Um, I think uh, the person that I want to shout out right now is, uh, is I, I mentioned her earlier, but Lena Waith. I think um yeah, she she has just been um so incredible to watch over the last couple of years. Um uh she first came in into my world because I think she was in a podcast of a friend of mine and just the way in which she has decided to be intentionally out, the way in which she carries herself, the way she continues to um let herself have the space to grow and be, you know, who she is gonna be tomorrow versus today. Um and the, the space that I think she holds for so many queer people in this country in terms of, you know, who she represents, um, I just, you know, and the way that she's actually used the word lesbian and the, the way that she's kind of claimed that as part of her identity, Identity, I, I have seen that have like a direct impact on people um, and continue to have an impact on people and um you know, and she obviously it's not her duty to do what she's done, um, but she's just done it with such grace and it's uh it's definitely an inspiration uh for me as a as a leader in the community.
0: That's so awesome. Oh, that's
1: awesome. And yeah. she wears sweatpants like I mean, it just like is her sweatpants game is just uh
0: Hey, I don't mean ridiculous. to fuck you up, but she's been to my house. You know what I mean? <laughs> when, I when mean, we, I've met her. When we did um, when we did no yeah. when we did our episode of Grace, she came to my yeah. house. You know, I mean, that's, that, no, that's different from I am
1: jealous no I'm jealous yeah no I have, I, you have know, I have some jealousy yeah
0: I don't mean to fuck you up but
1: it's it'll it might stick with me for the day try but to, I'll, I'll
0: move on am I at 99 that. now am I at 107 no. <laughs> uh, anyway you've been it's been really nice to talk to you and congrats absolutely. on the growth and um, on seeing something that folks needed that's absolutely
1: great. and I'm excited You you got to see it
0: yeah I really want to I really, really want to. Awesome. You bet. Have a good day. Cheers.